Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. Baptist Church. It is so good to see each and every one of you today. I'm telling you what, if the good Lord, and I mean this, I wouldn't say it if I didn't, if the good Lord had sent the angel Gabriel to make a big grand announcement like Gabriel does, you know, and said to me this morning, Alan, you pick, you can go preach in any church that you want to go preach in. I promise you, I would have said, I want to go to First Baptist Church in Barberville. So I am excited. I am excited to be here with you this morning. In fact, I feel like the lightning bug that flew backward into the fan. You know, he was delighted. And I am so delighted to get to be with you, my dear family and friends here at First Baptist Church. I would ask you, several of you have Uh, come up to me and ask about my mother, connected with so many of you on Facebook, and you've seen the posts on there. And I would ask you to be in prayer for her. My mother uh, has a crippled left leg. She lost her knee about a decade ago uh, as it was being replaced. It got infected. Nine surgeries later, they took the knee out, and she's had stabilizing rods going both directions from the cement spacer that was in the knee cavity, and last Monday, a week ago tomorrow, uh, the rod going down her tibula broke, causing her leg to collapse under her. She went right down, and going down, she broke her left hip on that same side of her leg, and so trying to get the hip healed up, and then we're going to have to make some difficult decisions in the days ahead about her care and her leg and all those things. So, so many of you have reached out to me, even before I came this morning, you've reached out and said that you're praying, but that's just an update uh, on Mother, and I'd ask you to keep her in your prayers, Della Dodson, as uh, you go to the Lord in prayer. This morning, if you have a copy of Scripture, or if you have it on your electronic device, would you open up your Bible, or turn it on, and find with me in the New Testament, the book of James. The book of James. Of course, Brother Tyler uh, contacted me and asked me if I was available to come this morning, and I began to pray immediately and had a conversation with him about what to preach. And you can tell your dear pastor when he gets back from his current assignment that I didn't preach anything close to what he and I discussed, all right? Just let him know that because in my thoughts and prayers, I really felt directed by God the Holy Spirit to come to this passage that I'll explore with you this morning. I really don't know why. It's not what I really would want to preach to you today, but I know this, God is providential in all things. God is sovereign, He's in control, and so He knew that I'd be here and He put His message in my heart to share with you, and it's one, I can tell you this, 
while it's not exactly what I'd love to come back and preach to a church that I love so dearly, it's certainly a message that all of us need to hear. I want to talk to you this morning about taming the terrible tongue. James chapter 3, we're going to begin our reading in verse 1, and then we'll finish our reading in verse 8. James 3 Beginning in verse 1, Scripture says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses, so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, or staining the, the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Boy, howdy, that's something to hear on a fine Sunday morning, right? Let's ask the Lord to bless us as we try to understand what he's saying to us in his word today. Father, I thank you for just the privilege and honor to be here with my sweet friends, First Baptist Church in Barberville. I thank you, Father, for the way that you are indeed moving in the midst of this church family. I'm grateful, Father, for... Uh, winds of revival and revitalization that are blowing in this place. Thank you, Lord, for souls being saved and, Lord, save people coming back in a closer fellowship and a walk with you. I ask you to bless Brother Tyler as he's away from his people right now in service, and we thank you, Lord, for his service to our country, and we ask you, Lord, to bring him back here safely. Father, I pray now that you open our ears and our hearts and our minds so that we can fully receive your word. I just ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and for his sake, and amen. Many years ago, the late, great Baptist preacher, Dr. Adrian Rogers, stood up in the pulpit of the great Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, where he pastored all those years, and he preached a sermon from this text. And here's how he started his message that day. He said, I have been your pastor for a number of years now. I have watched, I've observed, and I'm ready right now, right here, right in this place, 
to call out the meanest member of our church. Well, I thought about that a little bit. And I said, Lord, you know what? I was with those good folks at First Baptist Church in Barberville for about a year. And I know most of them. And I've observed them. And I think I've figured out who's the meanest member of that congregation. And so I'm going to just call it out. You ready for this? Who is the meanest member of the First Baptist Church here in Barberville, Kentucky? I've figured it out, and I hope you probably figured it out by now. Everybody has their own ideas about it, right? I even see some finger pointing going back there. But here's what I want you to do. Everybody take your index finger on your preferred hand, whatever it is, and I want you to point it right back at yourself. Because I'm here to tell you this morning that the meanest member of First Baptist Church and every church and every organization in the world is that three-inch little animal that lives in a pool of saliva behind an ivory cage of teeth. The meanest member that you have in your body and the meanest member in the church is none other than the tongue. Isn't that right? It's concealed as a sniper, quick as a bullet, deadly as the biggest gun that's out there. The meanest member is the one that we all possess in our mouths, the tongue. I want you to listen again to what James says about this member that's in each of our bodies. Notice again in verse 2 of our text, he says, If anyone does not stumble in what he says... He's what? He's a perfect man. Listen to that again. If there's a man out there that does not stumble in what he says, in other words, if there's a man that never uses an ugly word, if there's a man that never shouts out in despair, if there's a man that never shares an untrue sentence, if there's a man that never participates in gossip, if there's a man who's able to not stumble in what he says. James says he is a perfect man. So here's a word to all the single ladies. If you're looking for the perfect man, right here you found him. The perfect man does not stumble in what he says. Likewise, the perfect lady does not stumble in what she says. She's always in control of her mouth and she guards the thoughts that enters her mind before they come out using her tongue. Again, Scripture says the person is perfect. In other words, the person is spiritually mature when they're guarded in what they say. Do you know, the fact of the matter is this. There was only one perfect person who walked on the face of this earth. Everybody shake your head like this. Somebody told me the other day, by the way, that I was wrong about that. They said, don't, don't say shake your head, say nod your head. Shake your head's like this, nodding's like that. So let me repeat that. Everybody nod your head like this. Nod your head. There was only one perfect man who ever walked upon the soil of this earth, and you know that he was the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to what Peter says about the Lord Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, he says, he committed no sin. And wow, aren't we thankful for that? 
Jesus Christ, another sermon for another day, but let me just say this in parentheses, the Lord Jesus Christ, because He was and is the God-man, 100% God, and at the same time, 100% flesh, God living in human flesh, because He was the God-man, He could not sin. He did not sin. Although He was tempted, more temptation came to the life of Jesus Christ than any other person has ever found on the face of this earth. He did not sin. And so Peter says in 2.22, He committed no sin. And then listen to this. Neither was deceit found in His mouth. And so James is right. The perfect person does not stumble in what he says. Jesus Christ, the perfect man, did not stumble in what he said. And so, beloved, if we want to grow more into the image of our blessed Redeemer, Jesus Christ, right here's a good starting place. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking about what's the next step for me in my spirituality? Where's an area that I need to grow. Well, here it is. Control your meanest member. Take control of your tongue. Bridle it in. Learn how to use your tongue for good and not for evil. And then when you've done that, you're approaching perfection. Because again, the tongue is filled with deadly venom. It's packed with awful poison. James says that the tongue is as deadly as the fangs on a rattlesnake. How much power there is packed in our tongues. And so as we approach this text, we need to ask two big questions. First of all, we're going to ask a why question. Everybody say why. And then secondly, we're going to ask a how question. Everybody say how. Okay, so here's the why question, and you already get it, but it bears repeating. The why question is, why do we need to tame the terrible tongue? Why do we need to tame it? In case you're not convinced, I'm actually going to spend the majority of my next few moments with you convincing you of why you need to tame the terrible tongue. And so we're going to start with that question. Why do I need to tame my terrible tongue. And then secondly, we're going to answer another question. How? How do I tame the terrible tongue? So we're going to tee the ball up. I'm going to smack it as hard as I can. And then I'm going to bring us to a point of application so that we can all walk away from here being a little closer to taming the meanest member of First Baptist Church, the terrible tongue. So why? I'm going to give you three reasons guided by this text that answer that question. Why it is that we need to tame the terrible tongue? We need to tame it because, first of all, it destroys. If you're not careful, if you let your tongue get away from you and your speech race ahead of you, it will destroy about anything that comes into its path. Notice that in verse 5 of our text, James likens the tongue to a fire. I was somewhere recently and I was looking at uh, these bottles of hot sauce. 
I don't know if you've ever been in a big place that sells a lot of hot sauce. I like hot sauce, and so I like to look at it. You have to be careful sometimes because they're some of the most crazy names and actually evil names out there for hot sauce. But I saw this one that reminded me of this text. There's a hot sauce out there that's called Tongue Torch. And that's exactly what James is saying here, that there's fire, there's a torch packed away in your tongue. Your tongue is a torch. Your tongue is like a spark. And sometimes all it takes is just the minute spark that will set ablaze a whole forest. I remember years ago, we used to sing the song in the church where I grew up. It only takes a spark to get a fire going. How many of you remember that? Of course, that song's about evangelism. And isn't it true? It just takes somebody with a little spark to get the flames of evangelism going. And the same is true about the evilness that can come from your tongue. Sometimes it just takes a spark directed the right way that can get a fire going. In 1871... One of the greatest, most horrible fires in any city in the United States of America occurred. It was the great Chicago fire. And there's all kinds of stories and theories out there as to how the great Chicago fire was started. Well, one story purported it like this. said that there was this Mrs. O'Leary, and you probably heard it. Mrs. O'Leary had one single cow. And after sunset on October the 8th in 1871, she walked away from her house and went back behind it to the barn to milk that cow. And so because it was dark, there she is carrying the lantern. And she set the lantern down in the wrong place, put the bucket under the cow, and she started milking the cow. And evidently the cow didn't like being milked that night because it kicked over the lantern, and the lantern erupted into a ball of fire because there was hay beneath the lantern and before you knew it, that whole little barn was engulfed in flames. And if that story is correct, I want you to think about it. One lady, one cow, one lantern, one barn, and before the 1871 Great Chicago Fire was extinguished, 100,000 people were homeless. 17,500 buildings in the great city of Chicago, Illinois, were burned to the ground. 300 people lost their lives because of one lady, one cow, one spark. And all of a sudden, the city is burning to the ground. Beloved, I wonder how many friendships have been ruined? How many fellowships have been destroyed? How many lives have been hurt deeply and badly and maybe even to the point of ruin because of the spark of just one careless word? So you have to learn to bridle the tongue, to pull it in because it's a terrible thing that if you leave it alone and it runs its course, it absolutely destroys. Listen to what the Bible says in the Old Testament. In Proverbs 
chapter 16, verse 27. An ungodly man digs up evil and it's on his lips like a burning fire. You hear it there? That's what the ungodly person does. That's what the person with an immature speech pattern does. He or she looks around and she thinks or he thinks, now here's this little bit, this little morsel, and if I can reach and grab it and pull it up and start spreading it, then all of a sudden I'm going to evoke some terrible hurt on people. That's ungodly. That's what the Bible says. An ungodly person has this fire burning in his or her lips. Morgan Blake was a sports writer for the Atlanta Journal. And some time ago, he wrote in a little article, and let me read to you just a very brief paragraph from that article. Listen to what he wrote. He said, I'm more deadly than the screaming shell from the howitzer. I win without killing. I tear down homes. I break hearts and wreck lives. I travel on the wings of wind. No innocence is strong enough to intimidate me. No purity so strong to daunt me. I have no regard for truth. No respect for justice. No mercy for the defenseless. My victims are as numerous as the sands on the seashore and often as innocent. I never forget and seldom forgive. My name is Gossip. Before you say something about somebody else, make sure you ask this question. Why am I saying this? And the bottom line is this. If you dig under the layers and the real reason you're saying it is to tear somebody down instead of build somebody up, it's very likely gossip. And before it gets off your tongue, you need to rule it back in. You see, why is it that we need to tame the terrible tongue because it destroys. Not only does it destroy other people, but secondly, we need to tame the terrible tongue because it defiles. Let me tell you who it defiles. It defiles you, and it defiles me. Notice again in verse 6 of our text, James says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Notice the last part of that verse. A world of of unrighteousness. Here's what we know. Sin has completely defiled this whole world. And just as sin has corrupted and polluted planet earth from one end to the other, so the tongue can also corrupt and pollute and defile the entire body from the inside out. You see, it starts down in the inside of you, but when it comes to the outside through your speech process, then it defiles you. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 11. Listen to this. He said, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it's what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. That's not Brother Allen. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, watch what comes out of your mouth because when it comes out, if it's not guided the right way and if it doesn't have the right content, then it absolutely and totally defiles you. And by the way, 
while we're talking about the tongue, and you know, it's easy to talk about the tongue because that's what James says here. But we know this, the tongue is more than just our audible speech, right? Sometimes our tongue gets in the way when we're at the keyboard typing. And sometimes the tongue gets in the way and defiles you when you pick up Facebook and you begin to type. Sometimes it defiles you when you pick up the phone and you send out a text. You know, one of the things that I'm thankful for, God's had me in this particular ministry for a decade now, and as I was leaving the church as pastor, we were just starting to text. Some of you say, well, no, I've been texting for 15 years. Listen, I'm a little behind the lag, okay? But I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful that I don't receive those Monday morning texts because sometimes it's not the audible word. It's often the written word. And by the way, the written word's even worse because once you put it out, you can't get it back. Screenshot. You might say, well, I put that out there, but I deleted it. Somebody's already screenshotted it. Is that a right verb, screenshotted? Who knows? We have all these new verbs these days. But you hear what I'm saying. Once you put it out, it's there. And my friend, once it's out there, particularly when it's in writing, you're not going to get it back. So Jesus is right, isn't he? He says, not what comes into the mouth that defiles you, but it's what goes out of your mouth. Words can ruin the appearance and the personality of the most gorgeous or the most handsome person in this world. Have you ever been there? You saw somebody and you thought, well, she's just a gorgeous lady. Or he's a strikingly handsome man. And those were your thoughts until he or she opened his mouth. So be careful, little mouth, what you say. Father up above is looking down in love. Be careful, little mouth, what you say, because your words can defile you. It can destroy others. It can defile you. But thirdly, why do we need to tame the terrible tongue? It devours. It's amazing when you read this passage because James here, he reaches deep down into the palate of writing And he uses so many illustrations, doesn't he? I mean, this passage is just packed with illustrations. He he compares the tongue to a fire. He, He talks about putting a bridle in a horse's mouth. He talks about the oar, or or the rudder rather, on a big ship. He talks about wild beasts. And he uses all of these things, and he really drives it home when he begins to talk about these wild beasts in verse 7 and how they can be tamed. It's an amazing thing when you see a ferocious wild beast that's been tamed by the diligence and the power and the imagination of a man. Isn't that amazing? Probably not all that humane, but it's amazing. I remember years ago when I was down in New Orleans in doctoral seminars, we would go out to the French Quarter usually about once a week to eat. And, you know, you can see a lot on the French Quarter, most of what you can't really unsee. I mean, you see it and it's there. But listen, 
would go down there and, and there would always be somebody out playing jazz or somebody out demonstrating one thing or the other. One of the most amazing sights I ever saw was this man who had a dog, a cat, and a mouse. I don't know what kind of dog it was. It looked just like a, you know, Heinz 57. A variety, you know, of breeds in that dog. But anyway, here's what he had trained those animals to do. He had the dog lying down perfectly still on the sidewalk and a big cat lying perfectly still on top of that dog's back. And guess what was on the back of that cat? I've already told you, he had a mouse. Isn't that amazing? The cat was lying on the dog and the mouse was lying on the cat. Just evidence of what James is talking about here, how we can take what would seem to be untrainable things and we can, through a lot of diversion and a lot of effort, we, we can train animals. Wild beasts can be tamed, he says, but no man can tame the wild beast called the tongue. Just like a wild beast can devour, the tongue can also devour. We have a term that we don't use all that often, but you know the term I'm talking about, and it's very illustrative. You can hear the illustration just when I mention the term. Listen to this, backbiting. You ever heard that? Backbiting happens, and that's a good term for exactly what it is. When you take your teeth and you sink your teeth down into the back of another person. I hope none of you do that physically. But I'm here to tell you, you can do it emotionally and you can do it spiritually when you don't weigh your words. And it's just as bad as taking your physical teeth and sinking them right down into the back of someone else. Interesting verse. Paul writes to the church at Galatia and in Galatians 5.15, notice what he says. He says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out so that you're not consumed by one another. A lot of churches have lost their spiritual edge because they've backbitten one another. We have a lot of that going on in our denomination right now. I'm going to get into it, but I'm just telling you, Southern Baptists aren't as potent as we could be right now because of all the backbiting going on. We need to get away from it. It's what I call cannibal Christianity. And we just want to devour one another. Kind of like the lady that was awfully sick and she went to her physician. The physician ran a test or two and diagnosed and came back into the examination room and he said, ma'am, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you have rabies. She reached down in her pocketbook and took out a pad and a pen and she just began writing out this list. And she said, he said, wait, ma'am, just a moment here. You know, we can treat this. We can give you shots and we can get you over rabies so, so you don't have to be writing out your last will and testament. She said, Doctor, I'm not writing out my last will and testament. I'm making my list of who I'm going to go out and bite. <laughs> and often that's what we do. 
You see, the person that doesn't guard his speech, the person that doesn't rule her tongue, is the person that has a desperately unhappy heart. And here's what it is. They want everybody else to be as miserable as they are. So it really does begin in the heart. But you've got to be so careful with it because it can get away from you and you'll devour someone else or you'll at least poison them. Notice again in verse 8 of the text, it talks about poisoning. reaches back really into the Old Testament where Proverbs in Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Beloved, tongue is a serious, serious issue. And if any part of our lives need to be subjugated by God the Holy Spirit, it's the way we talk, the words we use, the things we say. When we talk about the tongue, I'm reminded of some of those old stories that perhaps you've heard about Sir Winston Churchill and, and Lady Astor over in England around the days of the Second World War. You know Churchill, but Lady Astor was actually an American-born British politician. After she divorced here in the United States, she went over to England and married Waldorf Astor, and she was the first lady ever to be elected to British Parliament. And so Lady Astor and Prime Minister Churchill, they, they developed this putrid hatred of one another. They were political enemies, and they were always seeing bad things about each other. Well, the occasion occurred when, you know, at one of those regal parties, Churchill and Lady Astor were both there, and as luck would have it, if you believe in luck, I don't. Somebody was in charge of it. At the table that night, Lady Astor was seated just right across, I mean, nose to nose, with Churchill. And everybody at the table and everybody around them or around them thought, well, now it's, it's going to start. I mean, it's going to be on like Donkey Kong here in a moment. And, and sure enough, it was. They began to, you know, chat back and forth. They got into a little heated debate. And finally, listen to what Lady Astor said. She looked over at Churchill and she said, Churchill, if you were my husband, I'd poison your teeth. She wasn't prepared for what Churchill said next. He looked at her and said, Lady Astor, if you were my wife, I'd gladly drink it. <laughs> Another story of Churchill and Lady Astor had been at some affair and they were staying in the hotel and they got on the same lift in England, elevator to us. They got on the same elevator Together, A few others were on the elevator that heard the dialogue. Well, if you know Churchill, you know, he liked to throw it back a little bit. And so he's about half lit. And he walked on to that elevator. Lady Astor was already there and he stumbled a little bit. Face was bloodshot. He was stumbling over his words. And finally, Lady Astor looked at him with those piercing eyes and said, Churchill, you're drunk. And he said, yes, ma'am, I am. 
and you're ugly. <laughs> but in the morning, I'll wake up sober and you'll still be ugly. <laughs> we can laugh about stories like that. It's comical. But listen, laying all jokes aside, there's murderous, deadly poison in the tongue. And that's why we need to tame the terrible tongue. When we were little, some of us were told to quote that little rhyme that says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Words can hurt, and they can hurt deeply. And you can apologize when you hurt somebody, you should. But just like I said about the text or the email a moment ago, when you put the word out there, you can try as hard as you can, but you're not going to be able to reel it back in. So why? Why should we tame the terrible tongue because of the fire it can start, because of the way it can assassinate and devour other people by the same token because of the way it defiles us. So here's the better question. How can we do it? We see very clearly now why we need to tame the terrible tongue. But how? How can we tame the terrible tongue? Some of you say, well, it'd take a miracle for me. Well, I'm here to tell you, God's in the miracle business. I want you to watch this closely. Don't miss it. Before we understand and really get to the good news, it looks like James has given us some awfully bad news in verse 8. Look at what he says. He says, no human being can tame the tongue. <laughs> it's a restless evil. And full of deadly poison. Come on, James. Help me out here, brother. You've beat me up. You poked on me. I'm bloodied. I'm bludgeoned. I understand the terrible tongue and how it needs to be tamed. And then you're about to finish this part of your epistle, and you says it can't be done. By the way. If you've not read the book of James lately, I would encourage you to do it, but get ready to be beat up. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said that the book of James was a right strawy epistle. In other words, it's prickly. And you lay and waller in the book of James for a while, you're going to get up scratched because it kind of gets down under our layer of religiosity and it gets down to the heart of who we truly are. And this tongue thing, that's the very center of it. And then James here in verse 8 says, you need to tame your tongue. You can approach perfection if you have a mature tongue. You need it badly because it sets things on fire. It defiles you. It devours. He goes on and on and on. And then he hauls off and says, you can't do it. 
No one can tame the tongue. Let me tell you what James is saying here. James is just telling you the truth. You can't do it. And I can't do it. You can no more tame your tongue than you can save your soul. But I'm talking to you today about someone who can save your soul. And someone who can tame your tongue. Your tongue is no match for God the Holy Spirit. Do you hear me? Your tongue and my tongue, the meanest members, they're no match for God the Holy Spirit. The same God that can reach into you and to take away all of the sin, all of the impurity and the unrighteousness and dross of evil that's buried down deeply in the crevices of your heart. The same Holy Spirit that's powerful enough to do that can rule over your tongue. I'm just saying to you today, some of us ought to pray that. God, my tongue's out of control. I have to do this. I have to do it regularly. Because my tongue gets out of control. And I've got to bring it back to God the Holy Spirit. Say, God, I'm saying things that I ought not say. Not because I'm a preacher, but because I'm a believer. And I'm saying things I have no business saying. I'm listening to things I shouldn't listen to. God, this whole speech pattern of my life, I'm bringing it to you. And sincerely and humbly, God, I'm asking you to rule over it by your sweet, precious Holy Spirit. Make a note of two verses, one in the New Testament and one back in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. This is what the Bible says through Peter. God the Holy Spirit speaking through Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. He says, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Wow! Listen to that. If you want to see good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. And then Psalm 141 verse 3. Here's your prayer. Here's how you do it. Psalm 141 verse 3. It's a prayer. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. There it is. James says, if you approach this in the flesh, you might make a good effort for a few days. But you're going to get out here on 25 and somebody's going to cut you off. And you're going to want to fly off the handle. And you're going to want to say an ugly word. And boy, you need to pray, Lord, set a guard over my mouth. 
Keep watch over the door of my lips. Because my tongue's out of control. Somebody's going to insult you. And you're going to want to retaliate in kind. Not in kindness, but the same way. And so you need to pray, and I need to pray, Oh Lord, set a guard over my mouth. And watch over the door of my lips. Because I can't do it. I'm impotent to do it. But God, the Holy Spirit, where I'm weak, you're strong. And I surrender my speech pattern completely and totally to you. Now here's where it begins. First of all, for God the Holy Spirit to operate in your heart and life, you must be a believer. Maybe you're here today and you realize that you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I want to invite you in a moment to come. And any number of people here in this room, myself included, would love to take the Word of God and share with you this morning how you can know Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you what He'll do for you. The moment you repent of your sins and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, listen to me, He will descend on you with His Holy Spirit. He'll give you the promised Holy Spirit and even though you can't control your tongue, God the Holy Spirit can. This morning, if you need to come to Jesus, would you come? Or today, if you're here and you're a believer, but you've been in some type of backbiting or you're using words you shouldn't use, you've developed a speech pattern that's inappropriate for anybody, let alone a child of God. Maybe you just need to come today or stand there or maybe sit down in your pew and really earnestly pray from your heart Psalm 141 verse 3 set a guard O Lord over my mouth keep watch over the door of my lips would you stand with me this morning and bow your heads I want to pray for you after I pray we're going to sing together a hymn of invitation and if anybody needs to come publicly I'm going to ask you to step out unashamedly make your way. God will meet you. God will deliver you. If you pray it, He'll do it because that's His best. It's His will for you. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for uh, these, my sweet friends. And Father, forgive me for saying things that I ought not say. Forgive me, O Lord, for repeating things with my lips that I ought not repeat. God, I pray that you would set a guard over my speech pattern, over my heart, Lord. God, Holy Spirit, control my lips so that my lips and my words honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, if there's anybody else, that needs to pray that. I pray they would right now. If anybody needs to come and make a public decision for you, I pray they would come right now. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing together, if you need to come, would you come today? Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast. 
please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville, or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.